everybody, welcome to episode 77 of the Avocado Gamescast. Today we are going to be talking, well, mostly because of the Olympics that are still ongoing, maybe not by the time this ends, or maybe not by the time, you know, COVID finally cancels them like it should have been. Um, we'll be discussing some non-traditional sports games. Um, we'll also hit up a little bit about the Steam Deck and cover a little bit about the Activision Blizzard scandal that's pretty much uh, in full swing right now. Um, my guests today are Brisson. Hey, Kappa. Hey, how are you doing? And Little Mac. Hey, folks. <laughs> so I guess I can guess Little Mac's uh, favorite sports game just by the name, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get more into that. Um, I want to start with what we are playing right now. Um, Brisson, what have you been playing? Yeah, I got a few things uh, since Max Payne turned 20 this uh, oh, week. Oh, man. Or last week, I think, even. I've been playing the first one and the second one on the PC, but what I've mostly been playing is um, something like uh, quite odd. It's like a DS port, uh, a DS port to the Switch. It's um, a possible long title also. It's uh, Layton's Mystery of a Journey, Catriella and the Millionaire's Conspiracy, and then the Deluxe Edition for the Switch. Wow. <coughs> yeah, yeah, it's really... It's listed like that also in the e-store, so it's like one word in, and it's, it's like it's like um, yeah, a remastered version of the original DS game, which is based around uh, Layton's daughter. He has disappeared since the last game, and it's just like yeah, pretty typical Layton the game. It's mm -hmm. all about puzzles and funny writing. And I'm really bad at most of the logical. Things, but it's, it's good to crack your head with stuff like that. Yeah. Logic and, and uh, question marks, right? Isn't that what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very cute, also, but mm -hmm. not overbearingly. Uh, one of the big uh, things you get is like uh, coins for outfits to uh, put Catriella uh, in, and it's mostly that's just like very tweed dresses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. it's, quite adorable but it's also extremely uh, well written and fun it's uh yeah based in some kind of fox kind of london and it's just very funny a lot of fun and yeah it's surprisingly long i think i've done like nine cases now and i'm like up to like 17 hours already and i think i got like three more to go even I, you know, I always loved, like, I guess, like, the concept of the latent games, but I always had to find out how to put myself almost, like, in a mood to play them and just, like, yeah. accept that, like, half the puzzles are just going to be like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, that that's the kind of yeah, reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> to make me feel very stupid. Yeah. I had, I had one today where I needed to calculate, like, birth ages, so, like, a month's. Like person A is born in that month and person B is born in like two months, two mm -hmm. months beyond uh, person B. Person three is born uh, two months after person three. And the solution is like really easy, but it took me like six tries and like yeah. five for minutes me, per try. <laughs> yeah. For me with the latent games, those logic ones come really naturally. I love logic puzzles. And then oh, the, no. but the visual puzzles. Yes. Oh, the visual yeah. is one I'm very yes, good at. That's, just that's... smash my brains in. You need a multiplayer latent. It's funny because those are the ones I nail like in one try. It's, it's like... I was good at neither of them, so I, I would definitely, <laughs> uh, I would definitely get to the point sometime with them where I just, 
I just kind of accept, okay, I'm probably not going to get the answer to this one, you know, and just kind of start clicking randomly on the screen or tapping random things in my image, you know, just trying to get it through sometimes. But I I, super hint. Yeah, I I always I always felt like the game in a lot of ways that like made me think more than your average puzzle game because you had to like sure. Like, my brain would kind of go, okay, what's the easiest solution first? And then when that didn't work, okay, now let's start getting real weird with it. You know what I mean? And then I I kind of felt, like, a a little bit more like I was actually, like, thinking rather than trying to, like, do a puzzle, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. uh, The the Switch version has, like, uh, 50 extra puzzles added to it. It has, like, all the the DC uh, puzzles that was, like, in the DS version. Yeah, I bought it like in, uh, in the Switch sale because it's like a full price game. Mm-hmm. But it's like uh, one of the few games I think uh, that's a DS port. It's really worth the full price, but it, they knocked it down to like 20 euros. Wow. Which is like an absolute yeah. steal for it. And what are DS games like normally like 60, right? Yeah, DS games are like uh, the remaster version like on uh, for the Switch is still doing like 40, 50. Ooh, something like yeah. that. It's, it's a lot. And I, I was eyeing it for a while, but I was like, nah, I got like the original the DS version here. But like when it was 20, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. it. It's, it's such a fun game. I'm just going to replay it again. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, Go ahead. Oh, what do you think of the change in cast? Like the shift from, from Leighton and his crew to Catriel and her new I, I really like it. It's it's a good change. Um I think Layton got a bit boring after like six or five games. I played like three of them. And I really like Katiel and I really like, uh, I forgot the boy's name, and but uh, the dog keeps calling him Pinstripe, uh, related mm-hmm. to his pants, like having uh, like stripes over it and stuff. And it's like kind of funny. She's like clearly not, not an adult yet. And she's like, Always hungry, always uh, trying to get like rich things and stuff. It's it's a fun departure for like uh, from Layton, and I think she's a yeah really well done character and just like uh, really funny. Yeah, I thought they were written well, and I thought I was disappointed at first that the game is in sort of a mini cases structure instead yeah, yeah. of one big case. But then as I played through it, and I still haven't finished it, and maybe I should go back to it because I was. Uh, somewhere far into the game. But what I found as I went through it was that the mini case structure actually does wind up making you feel like you've lived with these characters for yeah, longer for sure. than you have. And, and I, I thought think, that was a clever way to kind of get them I over. Think, I think the really cast. clever way they do is like bring back characters like all the time, like uh, like the Baker brother and, um, and the Tower Smith brother. Uh, like appear in like every case and are like always bickering and stuff. I can't really do names because like it's a game that is completely translated in Dutch. Mm. So like I only got like the Dutch brains, uh, Dutch names in my brain at the moment. But even the cutscenes are like uh, completely voiced in Dutch. It's wow, pretty weird. Yeah, it happens like sometimes with some games. Well, uh, Ubisoft used to do it like a lot. Uh, stuff like uh, Beyond Good and Evil got like a completely Dutch dub. Mm. It's it's very odd, but yeah, but it, the dub the dub is pretty good. But I yeah, I've just been too lazy to switch it to like uh, the the English dub. For some <laughs> I'm really interested to see if the game, all the Leighton games, like with Professor Herschel Leighton, 
wind up taking really, really dark twists mm-hmm. into yeah. like parables of loss and, and living with trauma and moving on with your life. All yeah. six of them right near the end. And I haven't got any inkling that Catriel's story is, is likely to turn in that direction. And yet no. it seems like. No, I, I think, I think it's it like, should. she's clearly, like, clearly tamed to like a bit of a younger crowd. Uh, yeah. So also with the, yeah, the puzzles are still mm-hmm. like the same level hard mm-hmm. for some reason, but there's also like, um, yeah, the hint coins are a bit easier to find and, and they like, <laughs> I found very funny how they deal like with like uh, Leighton's disappearance. It's like one cutscene in the start, and they have like two throwaway lines like uh, till the tent's get tent case or something. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, this young woman is not stressing. It's like a background. Oh yeah, he's still gone. Yeah. Um, well, she got she got a talking dog now, so yeah, she got <laughs> things to worry about. Let me ask. So, was it like a price point thing? You think that kind of made it a little easier to buy? Because I don't know how this works. Maybe like with Euro pricing and stuff like that. But like, at least in the U.S., you know, there's like a, an expectation for a sixty dollar game, right? And there's an expectation yeah. for a forty dollar game, and there's an expectation yeah. for a twenty dollar game. So I think. Like, it sounds like if at that 40 euro price that you're kind of expecting maybe a shorter game, you got a longer game, and you got a little bit more puzzle. So was it kind of like maybe the value felt better, you think, too? Yeah, for sure. But I'm also like someone who's like very cheap mm-hmm. gaming-wise. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really need the newest of new stuff. I mostly just uh, play like really old stuff. So like I said before, I'm also like replaying the Max Payne's. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. I barely like really play new things. Mm-hmm. Um, only with uh, less new things I've played was like the Outer Worlds and the Tony Hawk Pro Skater remasters. And uh, sometimes I do pick up some indie titles. Yeah, to mm-hmm. price. But most of the times I just uh, buy stuff from GOG or buy stuff from the Switch sales. Sure. Which most of the games always come for, and it's quite easy to get like a full library of stuff. Yeah, just I think the reason I ask is because I do enjoy puzzle games, but I don't think I would ever pay $60 for a puzzle game, if that makes sense, right? Like, to me, like, oh, yeah, even the sure. best puzzle game would be somewhere in that 20 to $30, you know, like that mid-tier. But I wonder if there's, like, an effort to make some of these puzzle games more, like, more into, like, an RPG where the battle system is puzzles, you know, yeah. over a time, and they kind of justify that higher cost that like yeah, start to creep late, up Layton is also like a pretty first line uh, nintendo title yeah like, yeah promote, promote the hell out of it and i think that's the reason why it's so uh expensive still mm-hmm. to this uh, day i think you could argue that Layton kind of has aspects of a visual novel right yeah, right make, sure you don't make yeah, any yeah. choices even the ds games like, yeah it's a story with it with was like an old journey on the on the ds games there's like a couple more games like that it's like you do like mini puzzle games for like an auto novel to play, which I think is like something really cool. It's kind of comes from all this Japanese game, mostly like on all the very early CD systems. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's always a very cool style, but it never like really hit it off in the in the West mm-hmm. besides the Latin games. So I, I think I'm thinking about an, another game, also like a police detective game for the mm-hmm. DS, where it's also pretty much like a comic novel, but you do like some small drawing bits in it. It's very stylized, but I can't 
Can't yeah, think I think the name. The, the maybe like the dominant form for this was maybe like the point and click adventure that maybe has some of that puzzle stuff in it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But even at the time, it was less puzzle and more, you know, what was the cl- correct insult for insult sword fighting or things like yeah. that, you know? Um, and you didn't really mind going and doing it over and over again. Because um, you, you got know, the funny death animation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting to kind of see like where puzzle games go because they've always had that little bit of a of a little spot for so many people. But um, I mean, like Professor Layton always feels like when it comes out, it's like on the verge of being like a big Nintendo release, but then never yeah, quite, sure. you know, hits that spot. So. And they still sell a lot. Yes. Yeah. A lot. It's yeah. insane. But they're really slow burners, like always. Mm-hmm. Because this is like a remaster of like a 2014 game, I think. It was really late in the PS Lite. I think, yeah. The only uh, the one thing I remember too is I don't know if it was this one or the one that came before it, but I remember they tried to do like a like a weekly puzzle thing. Like you could download like a new puzzle. The, it's, week. it's in this one. All the, oh, okay. all the weekly puzzles. Um, are still are like available uh, all the original DSC also, uh-huh. and it has like an internet connected server which adds even more puzzles. You get like <laughs> no joke, you get like uh, around 400 extra puzzles oh, 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 uh, wow. from the game. It's huh. it's a lot. It's, yeah, uh, I, man, I wish I could remember. There was an RPG where they tried something similar right around the same time, where you would download like a dungeon a week, um, and yeah. then you could. Uh, screen not screen share but ds share the dungeons that you'd found with other people and then they would find that dungeon as well it was a pretty man i want to say it was like maybe like uh i can't remember we'll look it up for the uh link dump but there was a they, they've kind of dabbled in some of that how do we keep people playing uh some of these types of games i think that was nintendo's maybe attempt around that time dungeons and rpgs yeah. and more puzzles and latent so yeah it's it's well how online connected to the DS still is because I was like playing uh, some stuff with my brother a while back like Events Wars over like uh, the DS Switch since um, they got like uh, what you were like saying like mm-hmm. the multiplayer infrared uh, Bluetooth system and it still works like a charm even on like machines that are like 15 to 16 years old yeah yeah and it's just the ds was such a different machine for us versus japan i really get that feeling where yeah you know that that was such a thing to like walk by somebody you know using a ds on a bus or in the street in japan and it's like opens up a whole different part of the game mm-hmm. where in the u.s that feature would have been an online feature but they never really you know developed that i guess yeah it's it's a it's a feature built for density mm-hmm. yeah and and Japan's just got way more of that. Um, the one time I remember, the, the reason I, I guess I remember this one so much is because when we went to PAX, um, you know, five, six years ago, I was like, oh, wow, this is how this thing is supposed to be. Like, you were just picking up, like, all the little, you know, like, there's someone near you with this game on, and they would have little lounges, like, with these giant beanbags. And people would sit in the lounge, and there'd be, like, five, ten people all loading up the same game and downloading and sharing all the stuff, just like... And it's like it, it was almost like experiencing a totally different system, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, it was it was awesome to see. Um, so, Little Mac, what you've been playing? Well, returning to the theme of cost versus value in a game, I've been playing Ultima <laughs> Five: Warriors of Destiny. Wow! Oh, yeah. <laughs> so very recently, 
couple months ago, there was a story that I saw about the Ultima Underworld games being mm-hmm. delisted from GOG because Electronic Arts just wanted to take them back for whatever reason. And so GOG had put them on sale, very, very cheap. And I thought, I've heard good things about those games, and I have a new computer, as though I would need a brand new computer to run <laughs> Ultima Underworld from 1990. Yeah. So I went, to, I went to get them, and while I was there, I noticed, oh, hey, the first two trilogies in the Ultima mainline series are also quite cheap. And well, then the spinoffs to the sixth game mm-hmm. are free. And so I wound up getting Ultima 1 through 6, Ultima Underworld 1 and 2, and the two Worlds of Ultima spinoffs of Ultima 6 for about $10 Canadian. Mm. and so i played through ultima 4 and i got a good 30 hours out of that one and that was a great time for me because as a younger person my buddy had ultima 6 on his pc and we would always play through the opening battle that just happens automatically Mm -hmm. and then wander around and not know how to get started in this massive open world game that was nothing like the final fantasies and dragon quests we were used to playing so when I was able to actually get into this game, Ultima 4, and play it a bunch, I gave myself the break of consulting the internet a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so now I'm diving into Ultima 5 and trying to do it with only the ancillary materials that actually came with the original game. So I've got the PDF of the cloth map and the, the original manuals. And... It's been a lot of fun so far. The basic premise is that in Ultima 4, you came back to Britannia, which was founded at the end of the first trilogy, mm-hmm. and it's a time of peace. And the ruler of Britannia, Lord British, says, hey, you know, things are going great, but the people need someone to look up to. So I want someone to become the Avatar by mastering all eight of the virtues. Mm-hmm. And so the game, uh, a huge part of Ultima 4, is just going around being a good person. Yeah, yeah. There are yeah. blind, there are blind shopkeepers, and when you tell them what you want, they tell you how much it costs, and then it says you pay, and they have a really bad sense of how much coins weigh. <laughs> so you, could, you could, you could order like three hundred dollars worth of reagents, give them one gold piece, and get them, and you can do that, except then you're never going to beat the game because you're showing dishonesty and and a lack of honor and these sorts of things. So at the end of that game, you you become the avatar and you leave back to Earth because the the character in Ultima is basically you, dimension traveling. And then in Ultima 5, you get summoned back, and Lord British has gone missing. And now Lord Blackthorn. Lord Blackthorn, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah he rules so... the kingdom uh, in conjunction with his agents, the three shadow lords of hate, cowardice, and falsehood. <laughs> and, and so now, Britannia is a dictatorship that functions on ruthlessly enforcing the virtues Mm -hmm. so for example you go to the city of minoc which is the city associated with the virtue of sacrifice and there's a big sign that says lord blackthorn's law of sacrifice thou shalt donate half thy income to charity (laughs) or thou shalt have no income (laughs) and you, you can go to another town and there's a like a child in in the stocks and you talk to him and you find out that his crime was his father didn't give enough to charity and the boy didn't report his own father. Mm-hmm. So just, just real, you know, East, East Germany kind of stuff. It's a, yeah. it's a fascinating, it's the same world. Like the map is identical, which has been a really cool thing. Like my familiarity with, familiarity with Ultima 4 
and it like its layout trans uh, translates right to Ultima Five. You can find the places if you remembered them. And some of my knowledge from Ultima Four has actually come in handy. You, I can give information to player characters that are to non-player characters that I did not discover in this game. Hmm. And, and when I give it to them, then they're grateful and they give me information that I need in this game. So that's really, really cool in that's, that regard. That's interesting because I, you know, I get the feeling this series was never like this was before the time of binging, right? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's interesting when you're playing them back to back, how that hits probably so much different because I probably played, geez, I probably played them like maybe two years apart. Um, and yeah, that's, it, that's it, how most they were released. Like the original trilogy was released like in a year, mm-hmm. every, every, every entry for a year. And then, and then it was like most of the time, two to four years. Yeah. Games. And, and I had such an opposite experience where I was sitting there trying to like rack my brain. I'd almost like my ultimate experience was always like, if I would start four, I'd get like halfway into it and be like, maybe I should replay three. And then I'd set to replay <laughs> three. And I'd be like, maybe I should go back to it. You know, like I always kind of felt myself being drawn back because every time like a mainline one was introduced, I felt like I had to jump back almost. So that's really interesting now that, you know, you kind of put in my mind, I could probably just do these right back to back to back to back now um, and not have that kind of feel because, um, I mean, by the time I was playing seven, maybe eight, no, eight, by the time I was playing eight, I was like, I don't remember any of this, <laughs> like having to go back a lot. And then they, there was a, it was the two-parter that was part seven, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I just, I would love maybe now to just dip back into it and just yeah. hit that like curve, like you're saying, because yeah, that was not my experience playing it as a kid growing up. Yeah, yeah. Last, time, last time I played like an ultimate game, it was like a really bizarre version. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keva and Mackie, you might remember like the EA Replay compilation for the PlayStation Portal. Right, yeah. Which has yeah. like all the road hazards on, the, on it. It's really cool. But it also has like the Super NES port of uh, Ultima uh, 7, the Black Gate. Mm-hmm. Which is a pretty cool game, but it's like really quite different. Uh, yeah. Compared to the original version. I played the original version also, but it's, it's yeah, well think... to see. Yeah. I think my I think my starting point was probably six. You know, like my actual like at the time like brand new at the time was probably six. Um, I was probably you know like eleven or twelve when they came out, right right in that wheelhouse for you know fantasy RPGs. And I was like, and then I started to go back from there. You know, um, as I think what was up three and four were on the NES, right? Yeah, Is that how that broke. Yeah, know that four was. Yeah, yeah. So I believe three was. And then once I got through those two, then I went back to six. And then, like, it was always kind of like, that's like, I, I always just kind of felt like I need to know more of this story. It's hard as hell to jump in Ultima at six. I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> I, I can confirm that. Yeah. Saying. We, we never get, we, you fight some gargoyles when you just load the game up. And then it was just like, well, I don't know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. know. Good game. <laughs> Yeah, Richard Garriott's thing has always been like world building, like even their mm. online game, it was insane for the time. There's like, uh, there was like a bug which they put in with like the animals. Oh, Tabula Raza, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I also meant like the Ultima Online. Uh, oh, gotcha. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember precisely, but uh, they input like a bug with uh, animals and the animals became like way too powerful and kept like killing the players. Because they made them like way too powerful, so mm-hmm. they needed to fix that in like two days. 
Yeah. He, I mean, you can't say like Richard Gary is definitely one of those like creator creators. Like, like, uh, you know, if this, if we were talking to movie, we'd be like, Oh, he's such an auteur, right? Like it's like, yes. Yes. You know, but like you knew what you were getting in his types of game. And that was a good thing, you know, at the time, because it really allowed him to kind of stretch his, you know, his wings and into different, you know, genres and stuff. But I always kind of felt like he wanted to tell a more complicated story that like games almost limited him. Like he's the kind of person I could see wanting to do like a tie in movie and a comic and a game and all yeah. that stuff all at once. Um, well, he built his own village like at his old, old home. Yeah, like this YouTube. No, no, there's like this YouTube channel, uh, channel that went to visit it, and there's like some people still from like his old friend group who keep it up, because he doesn't live in America anymore. Like mm-hmm. the old famous house he used to live in has been sold like for a long time. Yeah, like uh, the town was still there. I think it's uh, getting destroyed. It's, it's still for sale. It's like uh, a kind of rudimentary like medieval village. Wow. Um, he had his like his own fantasy play group there, play like plays, also starring him sometimes. It's it's wild. Um, you know what's crazy too? His dad was an astronaut, and like yeah, now he's funny. all into the, all that space stuff. Obviously, you know, like well, now that everybody else is getting into space, I guess it doesn't seem as cool. But like yeah. I think I, there was, I think I think maybe there was like a rumor that he was forced out of his company because like uh, NCSoft wanted him out when they were trying to make tabula rasa um and supposedly he left gaming to go like pursue you know space stuff um and he started to really kind of get into the space stuff but haven't heard much about that honestly you know um but man i wish you'd get back to to making some games i think yeah but he has been like in space stuff since like insanely early yeah 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 he's not he, he was he was set to fly around uh uh around 2000 already but then like um yeah the market broke with the dot com mm. stuff and yeah and around uh ultima online he was also like planning to fly i think he just uh fly like in 2008 already he was like mm-hmm. pretty early with uh, space tourism and stuff yeah and you know i think I think he he's one of those people who I actually feel like that this guy just loves this. You know what I mean? It's like I got the money, now I'm going to do something I love, which is cool. It's a little bit different than some of the feeling I get, you know, when Jeff Bezos is going to space, which yeah. is like, you know, the ultimate, like, you know, midlife crisis just got divorced move <laughs> rather than, you know, like, yeah, my especially, dad is. Especially when he didn't even, like, really go to space. Yeah, yeah. Richard Garriott Richard went to the International Space Station. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. And I don't think I don't think Jeff I don't think Bezos even got into orbit. <laughs> no, Bezos only went to space because uh, Richard Branson did also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's insane. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think one of the weirdest things about it is like I don't know if Tabula Rasa ended up being like what kind of put him out of games, but it was definitely kind of felt like a square peg round hole type thing where that was the period of time everybody was looking for a wow breaker or, you know what I mean? The game that would come out and be like, you know, this is MMOs are the future. And I think he's a good fit, honestly, for an MMO. But then they started to put in stuff like it became like a shooter uh, at times. And like it kind of ended up more kind of like a dystopian uh, future RPG that never really felt like something that he would really be into. And, um, you know, like, the, the story started to spin out from under, and that was, I think, the biggest disappointment or the biggest surprise for me was, with Tabula Rasa was when the story started to spin out of Richard Garrett's control, 
I started to feel like, oh, yeah, this sure. game got problems if we can't, you know, keep yeah. the story. And it kept having to be kind of like, well, you know, here's another supplemental to the story. Here's another reboot. Here's we need to introduce something to fix something else. And um, that's when I kind of got a little bit burned out on it. I only played it for maybe two months, which doesn't seem like a long time. Remember, this is when you're paying like it was things like 15 bucks a month to stick with it. Mm. And I was very into City of Heroes. Right. So yeah. uh, same developers, a lot of the same community managers and stuff like that. So I was very much hoping to kind of get some of that same feel where City of Heroes might not have been the most polished game, but it was like it was made with love. That's the best way I could describe it, right? And then Tabula Raza ended up being just so disappointing in, in so many ways that, um, you know, just never really clicked. And it was it was kind of a, a you know, kind of a, a bad way out for such an important person in, in development, but... Yeah, it's it's weird also because like Ultimate Online in a completely different version is still online mm-hmm. and still like doing it because I played it a fair bit when uh, Mythic was running it and it was like uh, still on the old like uh, nearly 97 engine when I started playing it and they were just like switching it to the new one and it was still like a lot of fun. It just felt like an Ultimate game, but then, mm-hmm. yeah, a bit more massive. Yeah, yeah. You know, to this day, I have never played an MMO except for Ultima Online. Oh, really? Wow. At the time that it came out, yeah. That game, a combination of things. I had a really outdated PC. My friends' parents were always like, yeah, yeah, we'll, you know, you've nagged us. We'll get the latest game (laughs) too or whatever. And we still had a Celeron, if Mm -hmm. if you remember that. Off, off like the cheap version. I do remember it. I'll put out and and we didn't get... uh, dsl internet until like a year after it was available so i was trying to play an mmo on dial-up mm-hmm. while while my mother started yelling at me that she needs to use the phone and and then the game itself was just just i was no good at it and whenever i did did settle down to play it i would you know create a character and get ready and go outside of town and then just get player killed almost immediately yeah immediate. yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the people playing this game <laughs> not trying to become the avatar. They were no, they're the anti-avatar. There's no commitment to in this game. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I try to think, you know, because like we'll get into this a little bit more, you know, later. But like I think I've always played, like maybe like the MMO of the moment. Going back to like when I was really young on BBSs, uh, there was kind of like a proto MMO called Legend of the Red Dragon, and it was um, like a text-based uh, game where very like Return to Zork feel, right? And you'd get a certain number of turns a day um, based on your character and your rank in the server and stuff like that. And, you know, there was other characters in there that were played by real people and they would be sleeping in the inn and you could check their power level and try to murder them while they slept or, um, you know, things like that. It was a very, very basic, you know, text MMO. Um, And like that really lit a fire in me. And I, I mean, I bounced from ultima online to everquest uh i mean i tried out weird stuff like dark age of camelot i don't know if you remember that at all oh my god but you know all the way through like the wow and elder scrolls online and i think i've even tried some of the like final fantasy 14s and stuff like that so um but like mmos have been a genre i've always been interested in and um around the time when tabula rasa started to kind of be announced or talked about and stuff it kind of felt like a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways, and people really were kind of almost clamoring for it, um, which kind of became a common theme in MMOs. Everybody's always looking for the next whatever, right? Um, and I think that's kind of why it hit a little bit harder 
um, and, and kind of more painful, I guess. So, um, speaking of MMOs, I guess we can transition into, um, I mean, just an absolute, you know, shit show, awful story about, you know, what's been going on is the Activision yeah. Blizzard scandal. Um, you know, we, we, we know three guys talking about games and it's, it's hard to kind of, you know, put into words how bad th this hurts and to not, you know, lean into saying like, well, it sucks that, you know, this thing I enjoyed, I can't enjoy anymore. That's obviously not the biggest problem in this, you know, whole thing. The problem is that these types of events happen and continue to happen. You know, um, I think we're seeing a lot of the, the outcry being, in this case, not only did it happen, it was allowed to continue to happen um, at extremely high levels. And then with Blizzard in particular, their apologies um, have been far below what, you know, most would consider appropriate or, or fair or good um, even. So, well, they came out guns blazing mm -hmm. with that first statement, just saying, oh, this is all a fraud. It's a mm -hmm. sham. Yeah. The, the government didn't even really pay attention. We had answers for all their concerns, but they didn't want to hear them. It's political. And then days later now, you know, yeah, actual executives and former executives have at least made, you know, varying levels of personal apology. What, what's... At that point, you got no de deniability left. Right. Exactly. I, I feel so like now they're pivoting. The very union busting firm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they hired the Amazon one. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I got like a big uh, bit of a bank feeling with it. It's like uh, the good old uh, too big to fail attitude. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, we we can't go away because we're too big to fail, and like even stuff like this will won't cut us down like a company. Yeah, we and will just like keep on going, even the government can't stop us and. It's a very stupid idea for them to be. Yes, honest. yeah, because the government loves to humble. I mean, our government does a lot of things wrong, obviously, you know. Uh, but I do always feel like there's this trend sometimes in government to like humble uh, businesses that kind of act like you can't touch me, right? I think yeah. there are some companies, yeah, you can't touch. You can't let Amtrak go broke, right? But every now and then, I think you get enough people and say, you know what? We don't really care about a video game company. They don't have the lobbies that a lot of the other companies do. If we shut them down who gets hurt, right? And I think the prime example for that was, uh, you know, mid-90s Microsoft, right? Yeah. We're too big. We're too big. You can't do anything to us. We got all this money. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you're so big. You're actually a monopoly. We're going to split you in half, right? Um, so I think that I think that first statement, I mean, I, I do work, you know, in a different world, but in a corporate environment, that first statement to me read like something that lawyers put out, right? You got to yeah, defend sure. – you got to defend yourself. You can't say yeah. you're sorry. You can't apologize. But that is exactly tone deaf and wrong in so many ways, right? But not to say I get it, but that's the mentality that I think they went with that first one is to say, you know, there's this is baseless. You know, as my client will prove, there's nothing that's ever been done. You don't take any responsibility. You don't say sorry. You don't acknowledge that you might have done anything wrong. You're fighting the lawsuit, not the public relations, right? Um, and then afterwards, everybody said, this is awful. What are you doing? They tried to fight the, the public relations, but it was not only too little too late, but the stuff they were saying felt more like, oh, yeah, well, I didn't see it, but uh, – Maybe it happened. I don't know. We're sorry if it did. We could have done better, which doesn't address the issue that's ongoing. It doesn't address what happened even really. And it's just it's it's nothing. It's it's a big, you know, 
wet fart or nothing from these people who, you know, supposedly were in positions of very high, you know, power in the company. Um, you know, and like, I think the backlash now is only starting to set in and, you know, there's going to, you know, there's going to be people who do quit. Wow. Um, and just to talk a little about my relationship, like to wow in particular, but blizzard in general, I, I was a blizzard fanboy. I, I loved everything they've done, but this past four or five years has just been a torpedoing of everything that I enjoyed or loved about blizzard. And it's made it a lot easier for me to walk away. Now, I know, and I still have friends who play WoW. Like I said, I went from MMO to MMO, and I was in a very high-tier, like, world's first level um, uh, EverQuest guild. And we ran in some of the same circles as Jeff Kaplan and Alex Alfrosby. I knew them then as Fuhrer and Tiggle. Uh, so, you know, Tiggle Biddies was uh, Jeff Kaplan's EQ name, so I guess you can tell his level of respect for women at the time. Um, oh my. Yeah. So and general maturity. Yeah. And, and commitment to the fantasy role play. And these guys were the top level guild leaders or raid leaders um, of EverQuest guilds at the time. And we bumped heads here and there. We knew a lot of the same people. Um, and like me personally, my guild leader was friends with them. And we sometimes exchange, you know, pleasantries slash strategies slash hate mail, depending. Um, and as those guys work their way up Blizzard, uh, my guild made the move from EverQuest to uh, World of Warcraft, and we were invited multiple times to, like, test endgame, endgame content, like stuff that was, you know, like AQ40 before the gates were open type stuff. Um, so, like, we've interacted with, with them, um, you know, and I've got a whole friends list of former WoW players, and they were all, like, it's kind of split. Um, I'd say half of them can't believe it. And the other half are like, yeah, of course, everybody could have saw this coming. You know what I mean? And that doesn't excuse that, like, you know, you like to think the best sometimes of game developers, like they've grown up or like, you know, hey, this guy who used to be, you know, just a, a ballistic maniac in guild chat or raid chat when we were trying to get stuff done. That's probably not who he is at work, right? That's his his gamer persona or something. But it's it's starting to really show to me like how many of these people are kind of like showing you who they are in the game and then it's bleeding into that's who they are in life you know um and it's i remember mca the, the late great mca of the beastie boys uh talking about how they came to really really regret the persona that they put on for the, the first album license mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah and the persona was, about uh yeah it was kind of forced on them by russell simmons mostly mm -hmm. well and but they, they were they were conceiving it as, you know, a parody. In, yeah. in, in Fight for Your Right in that video, we're a parody of Frat Boy Jerks. Mm -hmm. And now on our album, we wrote some other songs that are parodies of Frat Boy Jerks. And now we're going on tour and we're acting like a parody of Frat Boy Jerks. And what he wound up saying was you play a role or you pretend to be something long enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, that, that's what you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like – Speaking of the frat boy thing, I think there is – I mean, obviously, I was in fraternity. That's not a secret. But, like, there is something different to me about how nerds become toxic towards women. It's 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 almost worse, right? Like, I can think a lot of times at my fraternity, it, there was a lot of times where it's like, hey, actually, you know, be nice uh, to the women that are coming over. Don't treat them like assholes because they're going to stop coming over, right? <laughs> and, and so many more of the interactions were face-to-face, -face, right? And, you know, you'd, you'd get slapped or a drink thrown in your face if you were a jerk. I feel like the level of anonymity on the Internet and just the general state of gaming's for us, not for you. You're not welcome here. 
is a different type of asshole behavior, if that makes oh, sense. And the, the seething resentment of people who don't even – towards women from people who don't socialize with women mm-hmm. but feel that they should be entitled to have women yes, yeah. of, their, of, of a standard that they want of, you know, that <laughs> looks like a video game heroine or a, a movie star mm-hmm. should be seeking me out and finding me and just recognizing that I'm a nice guy. Yep. Even though I never do anything nice or say anything nice. <laughs> and I think what's tough right now is um, I will say that, I mean, even at my high level, you know, world's, you know, first type guild and, and WoW, we had tons and tons and tons of, of women in our guild. Um, WoW is a very popular game for women. Um, and it always has been. It's been a chance, you know, lose yourself in the world and, and stuff like that. And I mean, I would say that even as a guild, we were pretty pretty welcoming of them because we knew this is going to sound bad, but they, they had uh, a, a different mindset sometimes in the game than the men did. Like we would be like, Hey, let's get our top gear level. Let's do this. Let's, you know, push this content. And sometimes we would have a lot of women who in our guild who would say, well, let's, how, how do we make this happen? They're almost more like the strategic planners to the men's tactical planners. And it worked really well for us. Um, we, we always love to get, you know, new recruits and it was always helpful if we had a couple women who would think about how to take care of fights in like a bigger sense. Um, and I wonder now, you know, with a game that was so friendly or so welcoming to women in a lot of ways, more the community sometimes than the game itself, I wonder what's going on in their minds, right? It's gotta be a lot tougher for a game that you love, that you felt like was a second home almost, and you've got all these friends and this is your social outlet. And now it's, you're finding out it's being made by the worst of people, you know? Um, so I would love to kind of hear some of those stories because I can think of, you know, 10, 15, uh, you know, women I played wow with and it was that they loved it. You know, they would, they would spend all day farming herbs for a potion that would make us, you know, 5% less likely to die in a fight. And it was that kind of, you know, mentality, what we could do for like the good of everybody. And um, it was such like a selfless like way to play that I still think like that those are that's the kind of people you want in your game. They're good people, and it's gotta it's gotta be hard um, to decide you know where do I go from here you know per, on a personal level. Everybody's gonna do their own thing. You know it's like when a lot of directors or producers or anybody else gets me tooed. You've got to make your decision right. What's your what's your line right? Um, I uninstalled the Blizzard launcher, which wasn't hard for me to do, honestly. You know, I really haven't been playing much on there besides StarCraft co-op. But it was easy for me to drop that out of my rotation of stuff I play. Um, And, you know, it's everybody's going to have to make that decision, I guess, of of what supporting or not supporting Blizzard, I guess, looks like for them. Absolutely. It's easy for me to say, you know. I'm a, I, I play maybe a little bit of Diablo every decade. Yeah. For me to say, ah, you know what? I'm done with Blizzard. And yeah. They shape, you know, whereas if it came out that, say, Nintendo was a, a horrific, toxic environment yeah. for women, uh, that's going to put me in a serious dilemma where I need to actually, actually make big life changes. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it, I, have, I have a bit like the same with Kepa, but I came into, like, I played World of Warcraft for a while, but never, like, really serious. Mm-hmm. Loads of friends of mine were playing, so I played it on and off for like five years. But like the big Blizzard game for me was like uh, Overwatch. I played a lot of Overwatch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, I wasn't playing at the moment, but I sometimes still pick it up. And yeah, it's just going to be now out, out of my rotation. 
Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's going to suck a bit, but yeah, for the rest, yeah, it's by far the better thing to do than still actively using it for me mm-hmm. personally. And you know, this is it's probably the worst part. And like I said, it's probably worse for people who are active WoW players, and definitely mm-hmm. worse for active WoW players that are women. But Blizzard's been slowly. Yeah, I think I want to say two years ago. I said it was hard to watch all these studios that I used to love just slowly self-detonating, right? I mean, it was Bethesda, it was Bioware, and it was Blizzard. I call them the three Bs, right? You know, um, and to kind of see, you know, at least Bethesda got bought by Microsoft. I think that fixes one of their big problems, which was money, right? I always felt like Bethesda was operating on a budget that didn't support their ambition, right? That's an easy problem mm-hmm. to fix. You get bought by Microsoft, now you get to make whatever the hell you want, right? Bioware, I think they were making a lot of bad studio decisions under EA, and I really, I know people blamed EA. I think Anthem was Bioware's baby, and man, did they fuck that one up. Blizzard, though, yeah. I know, you know, at the time, I was mostly just mad at Blizzard because it was they were making bad games and bad decisions. But now, seeing this in the background, like, yeah, this is way more appropriate to be, you know, mad about and, and canceling them, if you want to say that, or just not playing their games anymore. Um, I don't think it's a cancel is a cancel situation because it's just no, you can't. If you do shit like this, there's you know, there's going to be a backlash. There should be a backlash, and this is what you get for it. Seeing stuff like that, Cosby. Have you guys see the Cosby sweet tweets? Yeah, yeah, I read about it. It's like, awful. yeah, like things like that are just you know, you sh- you know, if that hits the light of day, people aren't going to be happy, and they just didn't give a shit because they thought people are going to still play our game, so who cares? And I think now that there's a comeuppance, I mean, good. You know, that that's what deserves to happen. Activision Blizzard has been a mistake from the top down. And, I mean, I really am thankful that Bungie bought their way out of that deal. Um, because yeah. I am a huge Destiny fan. And I do feel like, you know, I know Bungie says, yeah, we have problems in the studio, but we don't want to be seen in this kind of light. Getting out from underneath something that, that was just this bad and probably even worse inside um, you know, I think is is a smart move. So I don't know. I don't know if Activision Blizzard spins themselves out so that, that, you know, Call of Duty isn't getting the backlash that, you know, WoW is. But it's I mean, it's it's a sad death from a great studio. I mean, my first Bungie or my first Blizzard game was Warcraft uh, Orcs and Humans, and it came with like a ton of little, you know, doodads like games used to back then. And there was a number on it. It was like stuck. Call us. And I can remember calling that number and literally talking to Mike Morhaime, you know? And he's like, oh, what stage are you stuck on? I'm like, oh, I'm in this dungeon. And these spiders keep attacking me. And he's like, oh, yeah, hey, try to have your, uh, you know, footmen up front and your wizards behind and stuff like that. I was like, oh, okay, you know? But to go from that, right, to to this is just, I mean, what a what a shitty sad end to, to something that was like, Blizzard could do no wrong for so long. I know it doesn't feel like that now. But, I mean, it was like they were canceling games that didn't meet their standards. And, like, yeah. they were held up as this is the studio that releases a finished product when it's ready. And, and they don't miss. They don't fail. Everything that comes out is just – and now it's like, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'd probably consider EA above them. You know what I mean? And that's that, yeah. that's unimaginable a year or yeah, two ago. Yeah, game-wise, like, yeah. there are less, less three games for, like, remasters, right? Yeah. And not even good remasters, right? Like, hey, no, god awful. I, I enjoyed CNC yeah. remaster, and I hated Warcraft Three remaster. That's crazy, you know. Like, yeah. So, uh, rip I, Blizzard, I, I guess. Still don't get like the CNCs needed to remaster because like the compilation EA release. Like, oh yeah, the ten year. 
yeah, yeah, 10 year anniversary. It, it was still it's still uh, still in organs, mm-hmm. and it's a really good compilation also. But yeah. Um. So moving on a little bit more to some hardware news. Uh, Steam Deck. Um, it's new handheld. Valve's getting back into the hardware business. You can pre-order, and I don't know. I, I that's that's what I'll say. Yeah. I don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> um, I, I've seen stuff flying around like, oh, this is as powerful as a PS5, Xbox One. There's no way. There, there's absolutely no. no way. Oh my goodness! Don't leave it on your lap while you're playing. Yeah, I think it's light on fire. Yeah. Burn your thighs. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think what. This to me is a weird step, right? Because where I see the future of gaming going isn't necessarily handheld versus console versus whatever. I see it going to streaming, right? And yeah, I just I love gaming. Yeah. And I wonder how you're going to be able to convince somebody to buy a $500 streaming device that, you know, let's leave the Switch out of it for a second. That's going to run some games but poorly depending on if they have, you know, and you're going to have to really fuck around with, you know, Linux and Mic- and Windows and stuff like that. And, you know, you're going to be doing side look. It's a lot to ask for someone to play some Steam games okay, right? Yeah, I, I find it very weird it's going to run on Linux mm-hmm. because I, I've used Ubuntu, like, for the last eight years, kind of on and off. And Steam on Ubuntu works fine, but it also is very limited. Mm-hmm. And so I- what you can play, it's... Uh, most uh, GOG games you can play on Linux these days, but Steam is still pretty much a shit suit. Like most indie games you can play, but most major titles, even you can play them loose from another source, uh, still not on Steam. Yeah, and I think the reason is, you know, Valve and Gabe have had a crusade now against Microsoft being the platform for gaming for some reason. And I. I mean, I'm sure there's lots of behind the scenes and stuff. It feels weird to me, though, because it's like fighting a battle that no one in the world would tell you to fight. It's, you know, yeah. when you ever you look at a Steam survey, like the hardware survey, I mean, Windows is 80, 85 yeah. percent. And then the other 10 percent is Mac. And then you've got 5 percent that are, you might as well try to do this thing with a Mac OS. You know, it's it's so weird to me um, that that's kind of like where they're, the hill they're going to die on. And then I think when you compare it to the Switch, it falls short in that Switch has exclusive games and they're unique games and they're games people want to play over and over again and they want to play the new versions of those games, right? So yeah. I don't I, I, I don't see that in a lot of let's say let's say Steam Indies start out with them, right? Yes, they're popular, yes they come out, but there's there's a new one every other month, right? So Yeah, but the problem with Steam Indies, the Switch took took like a major bite out of yes. also. Yeah, it's yeah like the Switch is like the system for me because I'm like a cheap-ass gamer and most of the indies release on there and most yep. of them get, get discounted pretty fast. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing that – the first thing that occurred to me when I heard about the Stream Deck uh, – the Steam Deck, sorry, is that I just thought, well, my Switch is already performing what the function of a stream, Steam Deck yeah. would be for me because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm probably not going to play any AAA PC releases. Oh, no. Every game that I see that I want to play that's announced for PC, I say – Sweet, I'm looking forward to playing that one year after it's released <laughs> the Switch. And then as somebody who's well into the Microsoft ecosystem, what I see is, well, I can stream this for 
free, you know, more or less. When this thing hits Game Pass, I can stream it to an $80 tablet I got for free when I renewed my Verizon contract. Or I can or stream it from my or phone. Or to your Shieldbox or yeah. something like that. Yeah. It's, like, so easy. Yeah, it's once once you've messed with that xCloud, uh, it, it's a game changer. You know, I can stream it to anything. I can go grab my 10-year-old Chromebook that's sitting in a closet somewhere, plug it in, and I'm playing Halo, you know? Um, it's, it's so weird that this, this steam deck to me exists in a space between this, between what Microsoft's doing, between what Nintendo's doing, uh, Sony, I don't know. I don't know if they're gonna have a new Vita or something, but you know, but between what those two companies are doing and then they kind of took this, their own stance. Now there's enough goodwill out there for steam that this thing's going to sell out and it's going to look real popular. Right. But I, I just don't know what gaming, you know, gap it fills for me that, my desktop or a good laptop or you know would would otherwise let me play right like am i going to play civ 6 on this thing hell no right like um it's just it's just weird to me that it it, it is going to give pc gamers the opportunity to experience the agony of console players trying to read the fonts yeah <laughs> yeah the ui scaling right uh, yeah because i'm looking switch. here Switch Here at Merv's notes, mm-hmm. yeah, will devs prioritize making games feel good, look good on handhelds? Big no. UI, for example? Like, mm. No, they won't. No, they absolutely won't. Small. Yeah, the they're going to... It's going to be so small, it's going to have to come with a Steam magnifying glass. <laughs> <laughs> I, and... I, I, I think to see a Switch is even worse in dock mode. Uh, my TV is like, uh, I think, five meters removed from my couch, which no. is like a sensible distance, but for gaming, not, because it's turns all the subs like too tiny and if i'm removed like two meters at most i can read them and my eyes are pretty good it's i remember the worst thing about uh console gaming i remember trying to play this war of mine on ps4 when it was one of the first <laughs> releases and yeah. i just had to, i had to go and kneel like i was a child playing a nest on, <laughs> like a court on a tiny tv next to my very large high definition tv so that i could see the fonts yeah and that, that game then, is so dark too oh man there were icons and things that i just couldn't i couldn't even make them out <laughs> yeah i i wonder you know i'm not saying nintendo would do this but this to me says man you know there might be a market for the switch pro that was kind of rumored right and then, you know, if you open yourself up to a little bit more of a Steam Marketplace type indie shop, I mean, Nintendo could end this war real quick, right? I mean, because that's, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's going to be people who are going to enjoy this. And some of the stuff, though, I've seen floating around, like technical specs and what people are expecting, resolution and, you know, um, graphics. I just don't see it happening, honestly. I don't see this thing blowing in any doors. It's going to run a million degrees, too. Um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I think that th- th- when they showed it docked and everything, I'm like, th- this makes no sense. Th- this is not for me. Um, you know, it's like a bad laptop for 500 bucks or an okay handheld that only is going to play a certain games. I think if they'd have went with some type of Windows, at least maybe you could say, well, you know, you can – you can also, you know, do your work emails or like there, there's some productivity stuff to be gained or just Windows in general has a lot more, you know, out the box ready to go that I think the average person is going to use that I don't I don't know why sticking with Linux was such a, an important thing with them. Um, other than, you know, like I said, their little war with with Microsoft that you would lose a lot of what could be functionality 
um, you know, instead to go with, well, now you have to do inside load and all this other stuff that I don't think the average person is going to want to mess with, you know. So, Steam Deck. Uh, negative reviews. So I'm just going to type that down. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Reaction. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, never say never, but I would bet I, I would bet against the Steam Deck as a game changer. Same, and you know, if they go 0 for 2 in hardware, well, I guess 0 for 3 if you really consider the Steam controller and then the Steam machines as their own thing. Uh, I think this is it for Valve when it comes to hardware stuff. Besides, maybe they're getting into a little bit more VR. Um, but it seems like it seems like Valve doesn't have projects as much. They have I don't know, like dalliances almost. Like, hey, we're gonna we're going to dabble in VR, you know, we're going to make a VR game that's going to be, you know, people are going to sweat for it because it's Half-Life, and then we're just, we're not really going to do much with it, you know, for a while, and then hopefully enough, we sold enough install base or whatever, and now now people are out there flocking to, I don't know, what's the hot new VR game? If you, if you can name one, I'll be shocked, but, um, <laughs> you know, so, um, I don't know, and I feel like they tried to do this thing with the controller that was like, oh, we got this, you know, crazy controller thing that doesn't really work good, and Everybody who plays, you know, with a controller on PC is like, but the Xbox controller is fantastic. You know, it's it's kind of trying to find a problem where there isn't one in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's it's like speaking of you know studios that it hurts to see the path they're going down. You know, Valve's almost a a victim of the success of Steam when it comes to like them in my mind as what they've been as a company because fighting this dumb war with Microsoft isn't something your average studio is going to do, right? They're going to work on making a new game or stuff to bring people back in, but I don't know. I mean... They basically have enough uh, dedicated revenue coming in from Steam that they never have to try to do anything. To yeah, Steam. yeah. And, they and, can just do whatever comes to their mind as opposed to having to be like, well, we better make Half-Life 3 because yeah. people are going to buy that and that would be a good infusion of capital for our next passion project. Yeah, and it, it, right. Just, there's no passion, so there's no project, right? <laughs> We'll do a passion project if it comes up. Yeah. And, and but our passions are weird. Yeah. Continual efforts to bust into hardware or VR. Or our passion is uh, hats. How, how many hats can we make in Team Fortress <laughs> Two this year? You know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's weird. I mean, and like Valve's kind of in that other like disappointing for other reasons, obviously, than than Blizzard. But the disappointment I'm getting more from Valve is that like it's it's a studio that used to mean something, used to do stuff, and now it's just kind of like a a money making revenue, and I. I'm I'm well on the record now of having competition for Steam is a good thing. And, you know, my Epic and my uh, Origin and my Game Pass kind of prove that at this point, right? Like, I'm much more comfortable opening a second or third or fourth, you know, game store, uh, seeing what the deals are and making my decision then rather than feeling yeah. like everything has to be on Steam, you know? And I imagine other people are getting there too, right? Um, you know, people hate on Epic. Well, hey, man, if they're giving me, you know a free game every week and they're good games sometimes, you know, whatever, you know, I'll download it. I'll, I'll click here and, and get it. And then in the meantime, you know, I've been seeing the steam sales used to be, you know, a race home from work or school to, you know, jump on those 90% off deals and get all excited. And how many, you know, how many, how much money did you blow on a steam sale? Now, I mean, I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, 50% off for Magicka too. <laughs> <laughs> My buddy used to buy so many games in the Steam sale, ah. and and he wasn't even a PC gamer. Yeah, he, he, I don't, I don't know if I ever remember him playing a PC game except for Binding of Isaac and FTL. Mm-hmm. He would buy like fifty games, 
and and he'd be like, I'm making money over here. <laughs> games cost like twenty cents, and he'd be like, but like you could throw the twenty cents out the window. Yeah, and it'd be the same same impact. But yeah, it was it was that was a hot thing for a while. Yeah, uh, my Steam library from like uh, the good years of Humble Bumble and Steam sales mm-hmm. is like up to five hundred, six hundred games or something. It's it's a lot. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's just interesting because like my mind now has kind of gone from like well, what's gonna come up next on Game Pass or what is Epic gonna throw me for free more than a Steam sale, right? Yeah. So, anyway, let's get into our topic. We got the Olympics raging, so sports are on our mind. Um, but let's talk a little bit about non-traditional sports because that's what the Olympics tends to tends to emphasize right uh i watched a lot of hammer toss last night and man i love some hammer toss right and i watched um i forgot this thing even existed i thought it was just for horses to be honest with you uh steeplechase and i was watching them run around and they jumped over the little thing and then they jumped over another one and there was water and i was like oh my god there's water (laughs) um but that's the kind of stuff that i had me thinking about you know non-traditional sports what you know so you've got games that break outside of that, you know, football, basketball, baseball, you know, just the regular old sports games, and maybe put a twist or a spin on a sports uh, uh, type of sport, or they do, uh, you know, like a totally fictional sport and get, get it into you. So I've got a few favorites, but first I want to hear yours. Yeah. Song, you want to uh, go first? Yeah, I want to go first. Yeah, my first idea, I'm not like really big into football in the European way and in the mm-hmm. American way, but I absolutely love football managers, which are such oh, yeah. odd games to think of. They're like the most uh, statistic uh, numbers games ever, and the only thing you're like doing is like managing uh, a bunch of text most of the time, some of them do have some uh, cutscenes or uh, simulating it, uh, but most of the time it's just like uh, watching numbers, make sure your players are healthy, make sure your finances are healthy, and stuff like that. Now, one of the most interesting things to me about this game in this series is people have gotten real-world, real-life jobs with yeah. football-slash-soccer teams because of their football manager performance or spreadsheets or... Yeah. I that is amazing wow. to me. I mean, it's, it's it's pretty common because it's really works like real time uh, real life management if you mm-hmm. really go hard into it. And these games have been made by the pretty much the same company and guys since the eighties, mm-hmm. like the mainline uh, football manager, and they're like so giant database built and stuff, and you can play it really casually like I do most of the time, or you can go really deep and deep into it where you're like uh, mentioning nanoseconds and stuff like that but like also with the upcoming esports also uh, some some clubs also started uh, including uh, football manager players and it's really weird it's also really I, cool to see I think it's it's very very cool um, uh, you know the American equivalent I think was Madden um, for years and years Madden does a lot wrong and a lot right. But one of the things that everybody, I think, agrees across the board, they do a great job about rating and assessing players, like, down to, like, individual statistics, like throw accuracy or run blocking power, things like that. So similar to football managers, someone took a step back one year and said, hey, rather than, like, playing the game as a player, what if we made a a game as a coach? 
And you basically yeah. just say, well, here's the play I want to run, and I want to draft this guy, and I want to do all this. But then the game plays itself. They tried it one year. It was a huge, like, disaster. However, my dad plays it, like, maybe every day. Like, it is maybe his favorite game. And I, I love how, the, like, football manager took something that was so, like, sm- like definitely, like, down to, like, who knows how many people are going to be into this. And it built its – it just, through yeah. like, force of will basically, you know, made its own way into it. And I, I always see it on sale, and I always think it's cool. I, I know nothing about it football slash yeah. soccer but I, I also played like a fair bit of hockey manager which is also pretty good it's from a different company and it's a bit more uh, streamlined yeah but it's like games i pick up like not every year but every few years i pick up one and i play it like for a month then I lay it away and then i pick it up for like a couple weeks again it's just like a lot of fun yeah, and I mean, like, it's it's that type of, like, spreadsheet management sim, you know, that, mm. you know, I wonder, you know, like, this is like, you get down some Ender's Game type stuff, where, you know, where you're like, what if we did this with, uh, you know, a little bit of a war game or something, you know, but um, it, it's it's really, really, really cool. Um, I've always been intrigued by Football Manager, um, but, you know, I, I'd love to just see, like, I think any kind of game where it has, like, a real-world impact to me is just one of the most interesting things you can really pay attention to um, where people are getting jobs off of their success at, you know, stuff like this. Yeah. What's one for you, little Mac? So for me, my, the kind of non-traditional sports games that I loved besides the obvious Mario sports ones, which you might expect from a Nintendo person like me has always been track and field type games, both, you know, actual, these are the Olympics, and you're going to play yeah. Olympic sports, you know, Lillehammer 94 or whatever. But uh, but then even more than that, the, the wackier kinds, your, your caveman games, your, the Kudiokan, you know, Crash and the Boys, it was called when they brought it here. Uh, a series of events, and you kinda, you're managing a team, and you're playing through all these little sort of more developed than a mini game, much less developed than a full game events and trying to accumulate an overall score all those games uh that's a genre that really really appeals to me which makes it kind of shocking to me now that i think about it that i still have never tried the mario and sonic at the olympic games yeah that might be a an obvious gap in my uh, (laughs) in my biography that i need to i mean address the, there. the launch of that game was monumental i mean it was you know mario and sonic in the in the same game i remember that was a, a huge thing um but yeah I, I love those types of games too um where it's kind of just it's more like a like a how fun can we make this thing that's already fun it's like layering the fun um but yeah i totally agree i remember caveman games has events like well it has just a you're standing on a big rock platform, kind of like American Gladiators, and fighting each other with clubs. And then it has like Tyrannosaurus racing. So you gotta, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta get that Tyrannosaurus to ride you along, but you can get thrown from it. And when you get thrown from it, it might eat you. And there was a fire starting game that I could <laughs> never understand when I was a kid. And yet now, as an adult, every time I need to get a fire going, <laughs> you think of it. <laughs> I just. The, the blowing on the fire part. I'm always thinking of caveman games when I'm sucking in a breath and then trying yeah. to get those embers to. Because th- those mini games would have been fun if you set it in modern day times, just have them as goofy, you know, like Mario Party type games. But having a little bit of a theme on it, I think, helped a lot. You know, 
K-Bay games definitely sticks in my mind. It's like, yeah, it was always fun to, like, you know, have a friend over and throw it on there and, you know, try to blow on the fire or, you know, was what did you do with the T-Rex? Like, you put something in front of his face, like meat or something, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's always fun to, like, have friends over and be like, you're just doing those kind of goofy things. There was a little bit of a caveman renaissance around that time. That was, like, during the bonk days, wasn't it? Bog, Maybe. Joe and Mac, yeah. the, the lesser prehistoric man <laughs> for Super Nintendo. Yeah, yeah. Adventure Island. Island. Yeah. Be- beating all the Bonk games and all the Joe and Macs, I guess you'd play some prehistoric man. <laughs> so, yeah, um, one of mine that I wanted to mention, because this one has such a weird tie in my own brain for sports, is I used to go to the YMCA as a kid a lot. Um and they had kind of like a entry lobby where they had, you know, a couple snack machines, a couple of drink machines, and three video games. And the one that I played the most was Super Dodgeball. They try to kind of, you know, keep it sports themed, I feel like, at the YMCA, you know, so they had Super Dodgeball. Um, Super Dodgeball was not a very accurate <laughs> game when it comes to yeah. what it depicted uh, Dodgeball being. But I could always remember, you know, like the weird sensation of like, I really didn't get how the game worked sometimes, but sometimes I just demolish another team. I had no idea why, and sometimes I'd die in the first team. But working your way up quarter by quarter to defeating, you know, the evil Russian team, um, was, was, it was a fun way to play. Um, and I remember, like, one of the, the coolest things about it, I guess, I don't know if this was in the home version as well, um, but uh, the music um, changed a lot. And I, I know that was kind of one of those things, like, at the time where, you know, like, there would be stage music. But I always felt like, at least when I remember playing it, that it was like the music would speed up as the game would get more intense. And that was one of the things I remembered with it. Um, maybe it even didn't do that. It was just on my own, like, you know, memory. But, um, I can't I, remember. I'll just, I'll just check it out. I've, yeah. got the, I've got that Kunio Kun collection. Yeah, it could have been just, like, a really bad arcade cabinet that we had <laughs> it's just couldn't handle playing the music yeah. but i would always like it was a weird game where i would feel like the intensity ramp up as i played um you know kind of like similar to like that feeling in tetris we're like oh I'm, I'm going here you know um and whenever you would see the t- the other team come out you'd see you know they'd had i don't know what you call them but you know there was definitely some some bigger some bigger guys out there uh and like there's the little fast guys and there was the big guys and you know i would always kind of like try to look at the team and like you know what would I? What was my strategy here with, with you know this big old team from you know like China where they're all you know gigantic and I have to spike it really hard and stuff. Um, but that was such a good memory because like I would always get out of the pool. My mom would give me a handful of quarters while she was getting ready or whatever, and I just go sit there and play super dodgeball until I until I ran out of quarters. Um, I know. Me and my friends would would the corner store had a copy of the NES version. <laughs> we, we would very frequently and and actually after going to the the pool in our neighborhood, yeah, go down there, rent that game, play a ton of it. I was always disappointed after playing it by real life dodgeball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, not just because it's like oh, I I can't do a super shot. Like I can, yeah. I can barely I, I can barely throw this yeah. hard, but. <laughs> On top of that, I love the kind of formalized sport dodgeball yeah. games where you've got three, like, infield guys, and they're the ones who you're actually targeting, but then everyone also has the outside, the limits on the other side, so you can, like, pass to your, your yeah. teammates who are behind the, 
your opponents. And it was never really a version of dodgeball that I was familiar with. It felt like a whole different thing, obviously. You know, it's almost like volleyball in some ways, or like, I don't even know how to describe it, but. Yeah, it's got a sort of volleyball or tennis ball, like with no net. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Court setup. <laughs> and obviously in real life, you can't play a game where you win by literally beating your opponent unconscious <laughs> with the volleyball. Yeah. But that you're throwing, but. But you could you could come up with a you know you get four hits in your row or something. And <laughs> yeah. You could play this gym class if your teacher was willing to really put the work in to study the the original game and and convert it. Yeah, I mean what? Yeah, and it, it's still one of those weird games that just sticks in your mind, like the the music and the the gameplay and stuff. But it definitely was its own thing. I've never played a game of dodgeball that was anything like super dodgeball as a kid. So, uh, but I yeah, think I probably tried to get some going, but yeah. <laughs> And a thing that I really uh, – a, a funny thing, if you play the the rest of the series of, of Kuryokan-type sports games, because Super Dodgeball is the earliest one, I think. Mm-hmm. Actually, the World Cup, the soccer one might be first. Might not, but anyway, it's very close to the start. And when the later ones start developing a storyline, it remains the case that Kunio is the captain of the Niketsu High dodgeball team. So, the, like, the story of the hockey game – is that the Niketsu hockey team is so pitiful that, <laughs> that they come to the dodgeball team. They're like, would you guys just play hockey? Like, show us how to be good at sports. And, and the dodgeball players have to join the hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> it's so just they, a... they, they are, their core sport is dodgeball. <laughs> and they branch out into all these other sports from there. I'm, I'm looking at some of these names right now. You know, in America, it was always like super dodgeball, super dodgeball. Too, you know what I mean? But like uh, – the original one of the original was called uh, "Fearsome Foe: Tale of the Dodge Soldier." <laughs> the other oh, one was the, called... the the what? Yeah, the titles of the games are so great. Uh, another one go... is it's Mr. Cuneo's Dodgeball. Gather everyone. <laughs> go go, Niketsu Hockey Club, Slip and Slide Madness. <laughs> uh, this 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 just reminds me of watching Crotendo and him endlessly like. Uh, he's going through all the uh, Fenicom Batlot and like endlessly uh, naming all those Hongpo games, which also have like titles that run in the three <laughs> sentences. It's, it's weird. <laughs> the game's announcer and referee is Angela. She's the daughter of DB Mao, who wants to prevent her father from destroying the sport of dodgeball. Like, there's definitely some stuff going on here that I never picked up on. And the, the, the reboot was called Kunio's Hot Blooded Dodgeball Legend. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I believe Niketsu is actually just the word just means hot blooded. So the students go to hot. Hot blood high. Like that is a serious high school. Uh, you know, that produces the toughest Japanese student street gangs. In the city. This, this just this this just sounds like rock and roll high school. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the Japanese it's such version. A wonderful series. I I love those games. I mean, I loved them when I was a child. I love them now. Uh, and I always kind of wish there was an anime series. Of yeah. I see here on Wikipedia, there's a manga. Man, uh, I, I want to go to more hot-blooded high, please. So Yeah, keep them coming. Yeah. So what's another one you yeah, got, Little Mac? Oh, what's another one? Ever hear of the Aquatic Games for Super Nintendo? No. It's a spinoff no. of the... Also, little known James Pond series. <laughs> oh, I, I know, I know. James I, yeah, I know James Pond. Yeah, so James yeah. Pond uh, has this spinoff that is also it's a it's a 
track and field themed game where different aquatic creatures compete in water sports against mm. each other. Doesn't and it start like the penguins from James Bond mostly? They, I think so. It's been yeah. so long. Like I don't have a bunch to say about it, just that when I try to think of what are the what are the wacky track and field games I loved. There was a there was a peanuts one mm-hmm. for yeah. Nice. Yeah, Snoopy oh, yeah, games or something. Yep. Snoopy was wildly popular right around the time uh, uh, Ness was, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Peanuts were yeah. like the original minions. They were yeah. Death. <laughs> Stick them anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a genre I would love to see more of, which then makes it even sillier that I'm not voting with my wallet and buying yeah. Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. So yeah. Yeah, you can be the change. Yeah. Yeah, I I still got another one, which is also like a really weird one. Uh, Rockstar Stable Tennis. Wow. Yeah. Which is which is like a blasphemy fest for, for you, Cup, I guess. <laughs> is, it was like an Xbox 360 launch title. I bought it like a while back, secondhand, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's a really weird game to play, also. So it's very arcadey, but it's also kind of deep cutting. It's mostly like kind of tech demo in some kinds. And it's a it's, it's a realist take. On yeah, it's very sport, realist. Right? Like it, yeah. it's a sim. It's not. Yeah. It's not of a of a piece with other Rockstar games. It's not some edgy. Yeah, it's very thing. it's very cut and dry. It's it's bizarre. Like the cover is just like pretty clear, and there's like uh, table tennis bets on it, and that's the only thing. Yeah, um, you know, table tennis. Speaking of, uh, I think you were going to mention it. Um, I really, I really think that table tennis is one of those weird. Well, Mario tennis, any kind of tennis game, lends itself so well to to video games. Um, yeah. You know, it's starting to see more and more of those pop up. It's kind of interesting. Um, but I always feel like the first test for it is we're going to try some weird motion control with it and then we'll go from there right um well it kind of depends you had like the whole series of topspin which is like a bunch of really great tennis games for the, mm-hmm. mostly for the xbox 360 um and the original xbox and also for playstation 3 but i think those were mostly popular in europe and over here and then uh, in the united states yeah um and then i i remember what was uh God, what was the name of that Nintendo console? The one, the red one that burned your brains if you played it for Virtual too long. Boy. Yeah, yeah. Boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, it, it, had, it had the original Mario Tennis, right? Yes, yeah. And that's what I remember um, the most about uh, um, that one was I, I played the tennis as like a demo. Um, they used yeah. to have it as like uh, you played in like Sears or whatever, and they'd have it like glued to the counter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was like, this thing is awesome, but this is going to kill my eyes. I could yeah. already tell. So. Have um, fun, Antidote. I was watching uh, Runaway Bright last week, and that's a movie from 1999, and it has like a character playing a virtual boy, which has been off the market then for like two, three years. Mm-hmm. It's really bizarre to see. To see. Mm. That might be the only person in the world who is still playing the Virtual Boy at that time. <laughs> this fictional character. Yeah, I um, man, I've I've tried to think about Virtual Boy. It's it's got to been out for what? I mean, like, I wonder if it's hitting that uh, collector's status for it yet, or if people don't even mess with it because it's still so, you it's know. Kinda did. There's like uh, some YouTube guys are covering all the games. 
Mm-hmm. There's like some pretty interesting games for it. There's like a Persona one, and there's some other stuff for it. Mm-hmm. And there's also, of course, the original Wario Land and stuff. There's some pretty great games for it. I played it a bunch of them on my friends uh, one. It's like after ten minutes you're done. You know? Oh yeah. Like, literally I've, always, burning. I've always wanted to play that Mario Clash game, which looked really neat to me at the time. But mm-hmm. I only ever played a Virtual Boy in a store display, and it only ever had the tennis game. Yeah, I there's a Wario game. Like there are yeah, games the there original that, Wario Land is for I would like Virtual to see Boy. Nintendo do something to liberate those games from the Virtual Boy. And I maybe make them grayscale. I think they the tried to do a collection for it, but like porting for it was hell. I can't recall. Yeah. But it's like somebody at least tried to port them. Uh, around uh, 2010. Yeah, I was I just always wonder when it comes to like, you know, comfort, right? Like even VR is very uncomfortable to me to be honest mm. with you, you know. So I just always yeah. kind of wonder what's the what's the longest amount you could really strap something to your eyes and go with it. And it's it's everybody's going to have a different time, right? Um but man, like it seems like there was a lot of cool I- ideas that came out there with words virtual boy as far as like, you know, hey mess with the depth and field and all that kind of stuff but yeah i, I don't know I, I don't know if there's ever going to try that again really mm. yeah. so you got another one Prasan? i got a couple more if you don't yeah i got one i'm not like like I said before not a big football fan but i really like the fifa street games they're like yeah uh, four and four uh, very arcadey uh games like with super moves and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's like, uh, mostly for to play the first three ones. And they like strip everything about FIFA I don't like. It's like three buttons you can kick, mm-hmm. you can pass, and you can block. And that's all. Yeah, we and, had um, the American version of that. Obviously, we had NFL Blitz and NBA Jam. Yeah. Kind of the same idea of let's just really ramp up the fun of this. You know what I mean? And like yeah. not not really do out too much else with it but yeah, yeah i played i played a lot of gem also but blitz never made it over here for like offices mm-hmm. and also like uh speaking of ea games i also had like uh fight night champion which is the mm-hmm. last of the ea boxing games which is extremely realistic and bloody and one of the most weirdest and like realistic games i ever played in boxing mm-hmm. It legit like sometimes creep me out with how much blood it spills. <laughs> it's it's completely bizarre and it's like one of their most critical acclaimed games ever. And uh, like no joke, it's like universal praise and it was like the last one they ever released. It's extremely bizarre but really cool game. Yeah, I, I've always so uh, to even put a further twist on it, we had a little game called Mutant League Football, right? Which Ooh. was kind of, right? Oh, yeah. So you you take the crazy, like, uh, you know, hey, you know, things are going to explode and get real crazy, and you put it on top of a level of football, but also you've got skeletons and, you know, goblins and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Uh, Mutant League Football is probably my example of, like, how crazy can you really get with a, you know, I think it was kind of born out of necessity, right? The NFL is very, very, very tight with their licensing, yeah. right? So uh, Mutant League Football probably plays it as close as you can. 
you know, by having characters that are obviously based on, you know, real players. Like, uh, parody names. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, hey, no, that's that's not Tom Brady. That's Bomb Shady. You know, like, um, yeah. I think that's actually his name. So, and his special ability is to throw bombs on the field. And if you try to get next to him, you blow yourself up, you know. Um, so, yeah, they have a lot of that, like, going on um, in the game itself, right? And then, uh, like what you said, though, it's like a very basic football game otherwise. It's, you know, four buttons, and it's blow each other up and do all kinds of funny stuff. And I always loved, like, like just play with, like, the actual, like, guts of the sport and then get as crazy as you want after that, right? Um, the oh. NF- NBA uh, Jam, another great example, right? Shoot, pass, block. I think that's all the buttons you had, but, um, yeah. yeah. Strip it right down, two on two. Mm-hmm. Great series. The uh, Mutant Lake Hockey, have you ever played that? Yeah, yeah, same idea, yeah. yeah that's the whole series, yeah. the two games. It, it really struck, like, it's such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. It seems like there should be more of those games. I guess maybe they just didn't do well. There was a, also a, an animated series. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember watching the, the, there was, yeah, I don't remember how long it went on, but I definitely remember watching it and my mom being like, this is not for you. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was I scary. remember that, uh, that, especially Mutant League Hockey, was, you know, it was, like you said, just a really basic underlying simple hockey game and then mm-hmm. stack all the wackiness and the mutant stuff on top of it. And the only one thing for me with that game that kind of drug it down is that you can win the game if you've successfully killed all the players yeah. on the yeah. other <laughs> But then that is, it's so much easier to do that. Than yeah. Then like score hockey. points. So then, <laughs> then it just devolves into like a, a not very good combat game. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that just but. reminds me of Carmageddon because that was also an end goal in Carmageddon. Yeah, you literally no one. point is you get an automatic win. No one raced. Everybody just turn around as soon as the yeah. match would start. <laughs> just yeah. One that I keep hoping for every time they put out new NES games on that NES Online. A little deep cut I'd love to see. Base Wars. Mm-hmm. Any familiarity there? It's a, it's a NES baseball game, except it's set in a future where the league owners realize, why are we paying these players? when baseball could just be played by robots. Ah, yeah. And so you have different types of robots, like unicycle robots that are very fast. You know, they have one wheel, kind of like that, the the robot from DuckTales. And, but then you have... I've never played this game, but I've seen this box art maybe a billion times. I have no idea how I never actually ended up playing it. Tank robots and all this stuff. And... It's largely, you know, like a fancy baseball game uh, mm-hmm. or a simple baseball game, but with some like augmentations. And you, and in the season mode, you can upgrade your your robots as based on their performance. You get money and you can buy stuff for the robots. And then they get into single combat when there's a a tag out. Wow, that's yeah, awesome! If, like a... <laughs> if it's not a forced play, that guy's yeah. coming into third, but there's no one on second. You've got to defeat him after you've tagged him, or else he gets to the base. Little, little fun, bit of. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, fun game. I, I, you go. A <laughs> little bit of an interesting note on. I'm reading one of the reviews on it. It says uh, it's nearly impossible to field because the screen slows scrolls slower than the ball moves. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty interesting way to uh, do something in a baseball game. <laughs> I don't remember that, but... I don't know if it's true or not. That's just somebody said in a review. <laughs> but I'm surprised that that didn't stick in my head. Yeah. I, I, just a, a terrific concept for a game. And that box art is... Yeah! Really I, I, iconic. 
I must have walked by this thing like a trillion. We used to buy a lot of our, our NES games in pawn shops. That was always the spot my dad would take us. You know, we lived on a military base, and a lot of guys would, you know, sell their whole collection every time they'd move, basically. And I probably walked by this box a hundred times, and I was like, wow, this looks so cool. He's shooting the ball, and, like, he's got tank treads, and I have no idea how I never ended up buying this one and playing it. So, but, uh, yeah, this this looks pretty. And it's developed by Konami. Yeah. Huh. So like maybe this actually holds up. I haven't played it since I was a kid. Sadly, oh yeah, the also cover. looks like a box. One of the robots looks like a Subidio player. <laughs> you guys know what Subidio is? No, but yeah, Subidio is like a Europe game where you have like footballers and you get like a, a flip side and you try to pass a ball through it and it's like the one, the red one that's in the middle. I thought you meant like a video player, like a VCR. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I missed that. <laughs> no, I, I, I always love these old box arts, too. That's another thing you really start to miss when you buy everything digital, right? You just get a fancy logo yeah. and nothing else, but um, no. Nah. So I had one more I wanted to mention because Super Giant now is obviously, uh, you know, a much beloved uh, indie studio. And I feel like a lot of people went from Bastion to Transition or to Transistor to Hades, and they ended up skipping my one of my favorite. I'm not gonna say it's maybe as good as Hades, but I'm gonna put it right below there, uh, which was Pyre, which is a fantasy basketball game. Is the best way I could describe it. Um, I really enjoyed Pyre, and I haven't seen many people talk about it. Honestly, it just kind of seems like it maybe slipped under the radar, which is weird for a um, for a, uh, a super giant game because it seems like everything they do gets a fair amount of love. Um, yeah, they, they never ported it to the Switch, which is right. why I've never, never caught up with it. Yeah, and that, that might be a big part of it. I mean, but I really think that um, that Pyre gets needs a little bit more love, and maybe as people are kind of like going through the back catalog after Hades is kind of – not not just within the the gaming sphere, but even outside of. It. I mean, people I, I know who never played a game before loved Hades, right? Um, mm-hmm. Maybe they come back around on Pyre, but Pyre is basically a three on three basketball game, weirdly, um, where you're dunking, uh, you know, powerful ritual scroll spells or something uh, into uh, definitely not baskets, but baskets, um, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's a very it's got a story on it, obviously, layer on top of it. That's very kind of Hades like in a way that, you know, you're un- yeah. uh, discovering and unraveling the world as you play. Um, but then the combat, instead of being kind of, a you know, an action RPG or, or you know, like maybe I'd say Transistor, maybe he was a little closer, like a puzzler bastion, kind of another ARPG. Uh, Pyre definitely messes a little bit with the um was the gameplay, and it said goes for kind of like a like a sport, like like we're talking about. But um, I would definitely put it close to three on three basketball, um, which is a pretty damn fun <laughs> way to resolve uh, fantasy fights, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking of, yeah, I've been watching like a lot of three on three basketball because it's like the Olympic basketball now, mm-hmm. because it's the only one where they can pretty much ban. America, because yeah, <laughs> <awful> <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I think this is a cool one, and I, I hope, I hope it gets maybe a second life somewhere. Else. It got good reviews. It's not at all like I a. I think it's on the Switch also now. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could, you could maybe sell it as like a, maybe a soccer or a hockey game as well. But to me, it feels like, 
NBA. <laughs> like, like basketball straight I, up. Now that I have a, a gaming PC, which I haven't yet used to play a game that came out later than 1990, mm-hmm. this, this might be what – maybe that will finally drive me to catch up on Pyre in the coming months. Yeah, hopefully. Because yeah. I, I love all three of the others. Yeah. These Bastion, Transistor, just magnificent games. Yeah, and this one has a very cool like thing where when you you load it up, you spend you know a good ten seconds looking at the battlefield, and you're like, oh man, this is uh this there's a lot going on here. This is blowing my mind. And then you start to kind of get into you're like, oh all right, I see what's going on, you know. So, um, I do want to wrap it around to one more thing. I asked both of you guys what you were playing now, right? We got yeah, Professor yeah. Layden. Okay, because I don't think I did mine. Oh, you know what? I should give me no more than 30 seconds because I should sure. it out. I should say non-traditional sports games. Punch-Out is great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mac, I'm obliged to say so. And, I mean, boxing is a pretty traditional – like, there's almost no more traditional combat sport. Yeah, Maybe, absolutely. Like, pro wrestling might be more represented in video games, but I think uh, boxing – Roman Roman wrestling is the most, like, classic combat ah, sport. Yeah, French. that's true. And, or, like, ancient Greek Olympic wrestling. Yeah. But – uh, anyway, great game. It's you know, it's almost like boss fights. The game, you know, you don't, you're not playing a simulation of boxing. Of course, you're yeah. playing a, a cartoony. It's almost a mix of like puzzle. Like a, it's almost game. a rhythm game kind of. Yeah, if you really think about it, recognition, figuring yeah. out yeah. the tricks, and then executing them. So it still has the action. Anyway, great game, great series. I hope they make another one. <laughs> I'm sure they will. <laughs> I, I don't and, think Nintendo's gonna let that one go. I think it's gonna come back around soon. Yeah. Well, it seems like, especially, you know, Nintendo loves motion controls, and the Joy-Cons are better than the Wiimote and Nunchuck for these mm-hmm. purposes, and the motion controls are pretty fun in the Wii Punch-It, so... Yeah, yeah. I hope to see more of that, and then I'll just say, on the NES, never came here, and pardon my pronunciation, but Chiono Fuji no Uichu <laughs> is a sumo wrestling game. <laughs> well, well. Nets. Little cartoony uh, sumo wrestlers. I played it a lot on an emulator, although without a, any kind of translation patch, so I don't know what I was working towards besides just winning fight after fight after fight. But it, it's sumo wrestling. You're just two little guys, and you're trying to get the other guy to the edge and, and knock him off the edge. A lot of timing and button mashing. and I remember that being one that I poured a lot of time into, and exactly once in hours of playing it, uh, my the two guys locked up and somehow or other uh, I ripped the other guys I can't think of the name of it but you know the sumo clothing mm-hmm. off oh and, no and exposed and because this is not localized he had little genitalia and he covers himself up and is filled with shame and in actual sumo wrestling apparently if you're if you're if you if your thing comes off you lose and so you, yeah. you, you can win by I don't know how it happens but by stripping your opponent naked. <laughs> yeah, because, because yeah, it's called a wasabi, uh, wasabi. Yeah. Oh it's man! It's like tied in a knot in the back, and they're like wearing like a kinda like genital covering uh, black underwear, which is kind of like a string, pretty much. It's uh, yeah, but it doesn't help and happen a lot in sumo because it's like seen as a yeah, dishonor a tradition. Yeah, yeah. Dishonest. Oh man, 
That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect to go there. Um, I, I wanted to talk real quick about a game I'm playing. I think I forgot to go because you know, I'm bad. Yeah, yeah, you forgot to go. Merv will be, yeah, Merv will be back. I wanted to talk a little bit about this because it got me thinking when we were talking about it. But I've been playing The Ascent, and um, I am really enjoying this game. Like, just as, like, you know, it sounds dumb to say sometimes, but it's like a visual feast. Like, I really feel like there's something about this game where just looking at it and watching it, it's not doing a good enough job in, in just to see it in a picture of what's really going on. Um, it is the cyberpunkiest game I've played in a long time. Um, I mean, like down to like the story that's going on, the details of the city, the the vibe, the feel. Um, kind of reminds me of you remember the Shadowrun reboot um, a couple years back. Um, kind of a, a very similar world, but not as tied to the Shadowrun universe as kind of a just just a general cyberpunk world. One of the things I love about it is you're always interacting with kind of like non-humanoid uh, characters, you know, not everybody's a, a human and it really, it really helps the story. I think in a way, because everybody's kind of living down in these slums, basically being um, indentured servants to various corporations and how the, the, the characters interact with that, I think is a really cool thing. Um, this thing's basically the best ad I can imagine for, Unreal Engine 4, because it looks good. Um, the gameplay is a little bit, I don't know, I'm not going to say bad, uh, but it's a very old school style uh, twin like stick shooter. Twin stick shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So depending on your enjoyment of twin stick shooting, um, for me, I, I, I'm comfortable with it. Uh, you know, I don't mind picking a cool weapon that I like and slowly, you know, powering it up and leveling it up. And they've got different individual kind of like... Um, power-ups that you can use and kind of like an ultimate finisher move for each character and and things like that it even lets you design your character which i thought was a nice little touch um you know and a lot of the stuff that i feel like cyberpunk 2077 missed this game is like yeah of course you're going to be able to augment your body on the fly and turn on and off different you know things and kind of lose a little bit of your humanity to aim a little bit better and stuff like that um but i'm enjoying it a lot uh it gets a little bit chaotic uh, as you play um i've seen a lot of kind of like you know seven sixes reviews which is kind of surprising to me um because of what i'm playing um i i, I think it's i i think that had they sold it as maybe like a uh you know a full 60 dollar release that'd be a little bit make a little more sense but i think this game has kind of like a you know labor of love from a i think it's like you know 15 person studio um really 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 enjoy it um so can't don't want to, didn't want to forget getting that game a little bit of shout out because I think, I think it's kind of going to be in the wheelhouse for a lot of people uh, that enjoy the podcast because it ain't often I like indie games. <laughs> so, when I do like an indie game, I really like to kind of give it a uh, a very good, um, you know, a little bit of a review and hopefully some more people grab onto it. But if you're looking maybe more for an aesthetic or an atmosphere and you want to kind of just lose yourself in a cyberpunk world, I think this is kind of a better fit for that than if you're looking for, like, crazy chaotic twin-stick shooter that's got, you know, super-defined combat. Um, this game is more, to me, about, you know, exploring a world than maybe, um, you know, just shooting your way through a, a, a spot. So give it a shot if you're just kind of looking for, you know, a neon-lit world covered in rain with flying cars, that kind of feel. Um, so... Am I missing anything else? Because 
whoops <laughs> if not we can wrap this one up yeah i think we've we've blasted right on through the agenda yeah, yeah i feel good about it merv's gonna be really excited to come back soon i know but uh you know keeping him under two hours that's been my goal so uh i will just close this out by saying thanks for listening uh, visit our web website at avocadogamescast.wordpress.com where you can find each episode linked up merv's puts a lot of effort in them so please just if you have a question or if you questioning something we said or not sure go there uh because he does a great job there um on itunes google Podcasts, and spotify search for avocado gamescast and check out the avocado at the hyphen avocado.org um and that's been it thanks again uh everybody for listening thanks you guys for coming back um and then i think it maybe merv will be back for the next one i don't want to promise anything but we're going to try to do maybe a little extravaganza and a, a big old welcome back for him when he comes back so Thanks again for listening. Um, have a great day uh, and take care. Take care. Take care.